Take your Bibles, if you would, and uh, open up to Romans uh, chapter 15 this morning. Uh, we're in Romans chapter 15, verses uh, 22 uh, to, to 33, uh, and the children, of course, are dismissed uh, to Children's Church uh, during this time. Uh, let's read together uh, the Word of God. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped in my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material things. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to come before you and just delight ourselves in you. We want to ask that you would use your word uh, to speak to us this morning, uh, that you would use uh, the passage of Scripture to guide us, to instruct us, to correct us, uh, to train us in righteousness as your Scriptures uh, promise to do. We ask that the Holy Spirit would be at work. We ask that you would give me the words to say. We ask that you would knit together our body in love and unity. And that you would use the ministry of the word to to build us up and to encourage us. And we just pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's important for the body of Christ uh, to support each other. Part of, of being the body of Christ is that analogy to the physical body that you're interlinked, that you're connected. And just as you have muscles and tissues and bones and they all work together, and when one part of the body is injured, uh, the other parts of the body step up to help, so it is with the body of Christ, the spiritual body. And we're in a passage here where we see in some real practical ways how the body of Christ can help its members. And particularly in this passage, it relates to Paul and his ministry. How can the body of the Church of Rome, who many of them, Paul has never visited Rome, so he knows a number of them, both through his various travels, and we'll see that in chapter 16, but many of them who have not left Rome and and have not run into Paul, they don't know Paul other than by name and reputation. And yet, they are bonded in Christ. So it is with us. We are bonded in Christ and we are bonded with other churches in Christ, churches that maybe we even haven't met their members. And we are bonded in Christ with other missionaries 
And so it's important that as missionary endeavors go forward, that we support them, just as Paul is supporting others and also receiving support uh, from the churches. And so this is our main point this morning. The church supports others for the work of the gospel. A part of the work of spreading the gospel is it's a it's a team effort. Uh, It's something that we all are involved in in various levels. We should all have individuals that we want to share the gospel with and are working to be evangelistic. But beyond that, not all of us are necessarily called to be a missionary or a church planter. And yet the church supports those who are. So we want to talk this morning about how the church supports that and how the churches support one another. And there's two primary ways that the church supports uh, other churches or missionaries. Uh, The first would be financial, as you'll see in this passage. The second, as you'll see in this passage, is prayer. Now, there are lots of other ways we can we can give support, particularly in our in our modern day and age. But but it basically breaks down into those two categories. So first this morning, the church supports others by giving financially. So we just want to walk through what's going on here. Paul has has wanted to get to Rome for a long time. He tells us that. And he tells us that he has been prohibited from coming. His goal, his mission, his calling from God is to take the gospel to areas that it has not been. To go into an area where someone has not heard the gospel and lay a foundation in the gospel, plant a church and move on from there. And so he's been going throughout uh, the, what would be modern day Turkey and then modern day Greece, Macedonia and Achaia, the northern part of Greece, the southern part of Greece. And so he's been spreading out. And the next place he can go then is Italy. But there's always already a church in Rome. And so he's been prevented from going to Rome because first he focuses on I need to plant churches where there are none. He says in verse 22, this is the reason why I have been so hindered from coming to you. So you go back to verses 19 and 20 of the chapter by the power and the signs and wonders and by the power of the spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem all the way around, I had problems with this two weeks ago, come and have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. So he's been spreading out. He says, thus to make my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has already been named, or excuse me, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And so one of the reasons he's been prevented from coming to Rome is there are a lot of places that need foundations to the gospel, that need that foundation laid in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 23, but now... Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, since I have longed for you, since I have longed for many years to come to you. It's kind of saying the work is has been fulfilled. We've we've laid out these foundations. We've we've planted them. Now I can do what I've been I've been longing to do. And that's that's visit you and then head out from you. And we'll see in a minute. He wants to get to Spain. Paul's finally able to move from the regions he has been working in because there is this foundation that he has planted. Romans 1.13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest 
among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. He doesn't say here what has prevented him. But I think most likely it's just been the outworking of the work of ministry, as he's been been telling us. But the point is, he knows of this church. He cares for this church. He's met some of them, Priscilla and Aquila, for example, but not all of them. And so he wants to to go there and to fellowship with them, to to have joy with them, to be strengthened with them and then head out for further ministry. You'll notice that Paul's call has been to plant the gospel in places where it was not previously heard. And you'll see in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about his role and Apollos' role. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. Uh, Missions and pastoral ministry or missions, church planting and pastoral ministry are not rivals. Paul uses this analogy. Someone comes along and just like when you're gardening, someone plants. And then in this case, someone else comes along. Apollos comes along and and waters. Paul knows that he is a planter. Now, in some analogies, someone who plants also sticks around and and helps the church grow and, and is a planter and a waterer. But you think of a farmer farming a field and maybe one farmer goes around that day and he plants everything and he keeps moving through the fields. And the next person comes around and he spreads the fertilizer. And that's all that he does all day. And these things are not wrong and they're not in rivalry. And and we need to consider that as we consider what God is doing in our church. We've been established. We've been planted. We are watering. We are seeking growth, both individually, but hopefully as others will come and, and join us. And yet we don't say, well, you know, we're focused on growth. We're focused on watering. So we're not really going to be concerned with planting. We want to support missionaries. We want to support church planters. Maybe God will call some of us to plant a church or to be a missionary. We want to make sure that that we even as a church are seeking to plant seeds of the gospel in, in individuals lives in maybe your neighbors, maybe some friends that, that each one of us is thinking not only how do I build up the local church, but how am I evangelistic? It's sad that, that sometimes inside the church we, we so pigeonhole these things that we think uh, that you can only do one or the other. And really, the way God grows his church is he uses those who plant and those who water. And you're not better because you're a missionary and you go overseas or you're not better because you devote your life to pastoral ministry. or You're not better because you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you're planting or you're watering what God has called you to do. We are serving the gospel. We are either laying the foundation or building on the foundation. And this is how the church works in unison. Paul's desire is also to go to Rome so that he might go to Spain. So so going to Rome for Paul is not the end. Uh, What's fascinating here about Paul is he's he's always got kind of a a vision, right? He's always got kind of a plan. Now, he's following the leading of the Lord, right? He's he's submitting himself to the Lord. And yet it seems to me that Paul also dreams. Paul also says, where can I go after I get to Rome? Paul is, is not... 
just sitting back and saying, well, whatever God wants with my life, that's what I'll do. And I'm not going to move at all until God shows me where to go. Paul is starting to move and, and he's he's completely yielding to the direction of God. Right. But but at the same time, he's making plans. You know, he knows that God will open the door or shut the door. But he doesn't just not do anything waiting for God to hit him upside the head. He says, God's called me to be a a, a minister to the Gentiles. Where can I find the Gentiles? You know, maybe God has given you some gift and some talent. And and that's what you need to be asking. Okay, how do I use it? And and don't just sit around and wait for somebody to invite you to use it. You start saying, okay, I got to look for opportunities because God has given me this gift. We'll talk about a little bit more later his plans to get to Rome and how God brings them to pass. But I want you to know this is I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So he sees himself enjoying them, hanging out with them, just just worshiping with them. Uh, Verse 32, he talks about joy, but also being refreshed with them. Ministry could be a burden. Ministry was a struggle. We just talked about this morning in Sunday school how he was thrown in jail at the church when he was in Philippi ministering the gospel. Uh, Probably looking forward to going to Rome and saying, you know, here's a church with not a lot of problems and and I can just minister and be ministered to, you know, not like that Corinth church that had all those troubles that I got to keep writing them letters. Uh, not like going down to Jerusalem and I got to wor- worry about getting beaten up, at least in Rome. I'll be able to relax. Not that he's going to be lazy, not that he's going to just take a vacation. But you know how it is when you, you see brothers and sisters in Christ and they just encourage you. And, and all the pressures of your life for the, those moments just seem to kind of fade away a little bit because someone is there and they're just maybe crying with you or maybe they're just encouraging you to say you can do this you can hang in there or you come to sunday and you just worship and you say it's just a joy to be with god's people after this long week and this is where paul is and what he's going through but he's also saying i want to go to spain he said in chapter 1 verses 11 and 12 for i long to see you that i may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you and that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine. So he's going to minister to them while he's there and they're going to minister to him. They're a mature enough church. So it is sometimes when missionaries come back from the field, right? They need a little break from the the hectic ministry that they're in. And so maybe they minister to us a little bit. They share what, what they've been doing. They tell us some stories. Maybe you get them in to preach or teach something. But at the same time, when, when a missionary is on furlough, we hope that they they get a chance to be refreshed. One of the, the things about um, furloughs sometime and a furlough is when a missionary comes back from the mission field for a period of time, usually like three, four months, sometimes six months, sometimes they take a year. Uh, a lot of times uh, furloughs are more stressful than being on the mission field. Uh, when my parents would come on uh, on furlough and many missionaries do this, they pretty much have to go around to a different church every week uh, visiting and saying, well, this is what we've been doing on the mission field. Sometimes they got to worry about support. Can we raise enough support to get back to the mission field? And so it's it's just a reality. And sometimes it's sad that missionaries on furlough are more stressed out than missionaries on the field. Uh, you know, sometimes they'll say to missionaries, well, I wish I got a four month vacation. Well, it's not a four month vacation to be on furlough. I say this to you to say this. 
remember our missionaries. And remember them when they're on furlough. Like, so we want to start getting in missionaries fairly regularly. We're going to have a missionary come uh, the first week in July, uh, and they're on a mission field, and we're going to hear a little bit about their ministry and, and stuff. So that's just kind of a teaser. Uh, but also remember, it's not just about what they can do for us. Oh, tell us about your ministry. Well, if you want us to support you, we, we want to hear what you're doing. But ask them, what can we do to help you while you're back in the States? Are, are you getting rest? Do you need anything? Maybe if you have a, a vacation spot uh, or something that you can loan to them or a camper or something that you, you can offer to babysit their kids if, if they live close enough and say, why don't you and your wife get out and, and, and go on a mini vacation? Because missionaries need to rest and recuperate. And missionaries often don't get vacations uh, when they're on the field. Just a little point I think we can learn from this passage. So churches are also, though, not only to help missionaries, as, as Paul is going to be helped and it will be helping, but churches are also to help the needs of other churches. This is the big way uh, the churches are networking in, in the first century church. They're caring for one another. So Paul says in verse 25 to 29, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Uh, For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them What has been collected, I leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So Paul is laying out his itinerary. He's writing this letter. Uh, We think perhaps he's writing this letter from Corinth. And so he sends it to Rome. And he says, before I can come to Rome, which would have been closer to go right to Rome, he says, I got to go back to Jerusalem. Well, why does he have to go back to Jerusalem? Because the churches in Macedonia and Achaia, so churches like Philippi, churches like Thessalonica, all those churches that you see sort of in that region of Greece, were giving to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was poor. There had been various famines. There had been things going on there. And so the people who themselves aren't very rich in these churches, in fact, Paul says the Macedonian churches are quite poor, are actually raising some money to bring to Jerusalem. It's interesting that Paul talks about this in Corinth when he writes to the Corinthians in his second epistle. He says the churches in Macedonia have taken a collection. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we do not know we want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given to the churches in Macedonia. For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So here are these churches in Macedonia, and they are troubled, and they are in trial, and they are in affliction. And and there's probably this temptation to say, hey, guys, you need to help us out. And and God has just given them such a joy. And they hear about the Jerusalem church and they are begging Paul, Paul, let us send a gift to them. 
And, and maybe Paul is saying, like, guys, you, you don't have a lot of money here. Uh, you, you have your own widow. Paul, we got this. We can take care of our own widows, of our own needs, and, and we're going to give some to the church in Jerusalem. And not only are they going to, like, give some to the church of Jerusalem, they're going to, like, give a lot to the church of Jerusalem. They're going to give not only according to their means, but beyond their means. Now, I don't know what this would have exactly looked like in the ancient world. What do they give up? But in our day and age, it might mean something like, you know, not only are you giving your regular tithe check, but you sacrifice your pizza night so you can give a little extra. Or you sacrifice going to the movies. Or maybe you put off buying that new car and put a couple of payments that you're going to give to the new car to someone in need. It's above their means. Paul then says to the church in in Corinth, he says, For I know of your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. So Macedonia wants to give, and Paul's saying, that's great. Guess what? These other churches in Achaia, they've been ready to give for a year too. This is awesome. And Paul says, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So the Macedonian church is going, man, that is great. Achaia is going to give. We're going to give. We're going to help this Jerusalem church out. They are just all in and getting behind. What can we do to help another church in need? And Paul exhorts the the Corinthians that, that he says, so I thought it necessary to urge you, brothers, to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you had promised so that it may be ready as I as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So so Paul doesn't want to show up in Corinth and and be like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm ready to take that gift you talked about last year. And they're going like, oh, yeah, yeah, we did say that. All right. Hold on. We'll, we'll get. He's like, OK, I'm, I'm sending you this. I'm, I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm not trying to extract it from you. I want you to do this in joy. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. But I want to remind you. I want to remind you that if you have been given grace, your desire should be to give grace to others. If you have been given gifts of finances or gifts of prosperity, your desire should be to pass it on. That, that these things that God has given you, you are just a steward of them. That everything that you have, you do not own it. God owns it and has given it to you to be a manager of it. And so how do you use it best? Sometimes that does mean that we save for our future. Or we save a little bit for our kids' future. Other times that means the best way to be a steward of it is we say, you know what? I need to trust God rather than trust my money and give some of this money or give some of what I have to someone that's in need. So these Gentile churches are helping out the Jerusalem church. And and Paul makes a spiritual principle from this. Look at verse 27. For they were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So here this goes back to Paul's theology of the gospel, right? The gospel going out in terms of history goes to the Jew first and then to the Greek, right? Who in the Old Testament has the covenants and the promises and the adoption of God? Jerusalem. Right. The Jews. 
And Paul has said in chapter 11 that there is still an elect from among the Jews who are partaking of the spiritual blessings. But now these spiritual blessings have overflowed as Gentiles are being grafted in. And so Paul is saying, guys, if you Gentiles have these spiritual blessings and and you have benefited from everything God did for the Jewish people, Man, we can we can pay them back, not literally pay them back. But if God was so great to spend spread spiritual blessings out, he also then can spread the physical blessings back in back from the Gentiles into the Jewish people. Now, it's tough to know how we would apply that directly to today. Uh, Maybe it could mean doing a little more to support missions uh, to Jewish people or, or Jewish endeavors in, in missions. It's interesting that that in this week, uh, the big one of the big political scandals, you know, everybody was talking about the, the embassy in the U.S. embassy in Jerusalem uh, opened up uh, and everybody. Well, not everybody, but lots of people. And unfortunately, lots of pastors make a big spiritual issue about that. Wow, America's supporting the Jews and, and, and we've got the embassy going on there. And you know what? I don't know whether that has anything to do with end times or not. The Bible doesn't talk in that way. And we can get so wrapped up in the politics, so wrapped up in, in is this it? Is this what God is going to use? That we miss what the church should be doing. On one sense, who cares? America has moved their embassy into Jerusalem. I'll let the politicians debate whether that was wise on a geopolitical thing. That's not what we're here for. But I do think we need to think about Jewish Christians. And even Christians that are Palestinian in our day and age that need help and support and the issues that go on there. And there are churches caught right in the middle of it. Even more, I think we need to think about churches around us that that are struggling, that could use some help. So we have this principle here that goes on. And even in Corinthians, you see Paul say this, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. And there may be fairness as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is a quote from Exodus when they're out collecting the manna. And if somebody collected a lot of manna, let's say they had like eight kids. And so you send all the kids out and and they're all going crazy and they get way more manna. You know how it is when you send your kids out to pick up Easter eggs, right? Uh, They get way more candy than they can ever eat. Well, imagine that going on with the manna. And then there's maybe this old lady uh, going out and she can barely bend over. And by the end of the day, she's only picked up like a handful. And so what happens? Th- this family that has this abundance because their kids went crazy picking up the manna. And it was like a game. They, they give of their abundance so that the one who lacks didn't lack. And the one who overflowed, they didn't just sit on what they had and say, we'll store it up. Remember when they stored it up and they tried to save it for the next day? What happened? It it rotted. It it was like an automatic prevention of being greedy. And that in Corinthians is the principle that Paul lays out for how churches take care of one another. That there's this union in the body of Christ. Sometimes even inside the church. I know of stories and examples where someone who has much will will give and will help out and 
and maybe financially or maybe physically or, or um, you know, come over and fix something or whatever to someone that has something in need. It should be reciprocal. It should be the supplying of needs. So just a couple questions as we think this morning. Are you stingy when it comes to meeting the needs of others? Is your abundance for yourself or do you see it as some way to serve the church? For the larger church as a whole, when we think about collecting funds, how do we use them? Uh, one of the goals that we've had as a church is to get back to supporting missions and making sure that missions and church planning is supported by at least 10% of our budget. And I hope that in the years to come, we, we don't stop there and we're not like, well, we're giving our tithe to missions. But, but if God gives us an abundance, how do we give it to others? One example, and I don't want us to get prideful, but I want to say just as your pastor, how encouraged I was by it. Last Christmas, you'll remember we collected some gifts for a church in inner city Reading. And the church is a Spanish church plant. They actually just this summer, just last month, they graduated into a full church. They're, they're self-supporting now. But they had some single moms and, and families that had need of Christmas gifts. And if you remember, we collected them. And I talked to the pastor and just how blessed he was by this. And again, let's not get prideful about it, but I just want to say that was great that we did that. And, and let's be frank. They were a different ethnicity for the most part. They're pretty much all Latino from all over Mexico, Central America. They're, they're not even all from one place. It's, it's literally culturally diverse. Their services are, are primarily in Spanish. And you can think about everything that was going on last year in our country. All the immigration debates, all of the politicking. And talking to that pastor, just what a joy it was to know that there were Christians that loved them. That we weren't looking at them and saying, oh, there might be some illegal immigrants there. And, oh, they need to get out of our country. And, oh, they need to learn to speak English. We were just saying, these are brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's a need that we can help them with. That's how we need to think. And that's how we need to think more often. You imagine the, the tensions in the world between Jews and Gentiles. They hated each other at times. And here's this Gentile church that has come to the gospel. And now they're saying, we're going to help you. We're going to give back to you. This is how we need to think. Second, the church supports others by giving financially. Paul asked for prayer. As a missionary, he asked for prayer. Look at verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Let's be honest. In the American church, the Western church, it is often much easier to send a check to those in need than it is to diligently pray for them. It's easy to say there's a need and let's take up a collection. Now, let's not use prayer as an excuse. You know, oh, I'll pray for you and, and not help with the needs. But sometimes we think, well, just because I gave some to them, we're supporting them. There's no need for prayer. I'm sure if you ask Sarah which she would rather have more. Well, I hope if you ask Sarah, I don't want to I don't want to speak for her. You know, if, if you had a choice of, of giving, you know, a hundred dollars to Sarah for her summer 
or diligently praying every day for five minutes a day just for her. I want you to support Sarah, but I hope that if it was one or the other, you would say, you know what? Prayer is needed. You understand what I'm saying, right? In the plan and purpose of God, prayer is what gets the job done. Prayer is what is needed. And Paul says, I appeal to you by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit. This is perhaps the love that the Spirit has poured out into our hearts, maybe even the love that He's put in our hearts for each other, the the unity, the bond that we have. Either way, Paul's saying that God's love in the Gospel makes us more loving. It makes us diligent in prayer for other people. Paul has said in chapter 1, For God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit in the Gospel of His Son, with that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Paul, the missionary who has tons of people in tons of churches to pray for, is still praying for the church in Rome. And he says, I mention you without ceasing. Now, don't take this hyper literally. It doesn't mean he was literally praying 24-7 hours a day. It just means that in his regular prayer times... He didn't forget them. It came up over and over. This was not just like, oh, yeah, I prayed for you once last month. Oh, maybe I should pray again. It was always there. It was always in his mind. It was always in his heart. And so he gives then two prayer requests for the church. And I think we can learn from this. He says that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. That's number one. Number two, that my service may be acceptable to the saints. So Paul's going to face opposition in Jerusalem, and he knows it. And he says, pray. Frankly, if they kill Paul in Jerusalem, he can't get to Rome. And he doesn't know what Paul's plan or what God's plan is at this point. And so he just says, pray. Pray that I might be delivered from unbelievers. It's interesting how God answers this prayer. You remember in the book of Acts, right? Paul goes into the temple. He's just minding his own business. He's fulfilling a vow. Uh, he's he's just, just being a, a normal Christian. And at that time, they were still praying in the temple. And there are some Jewish people that see him. They know who he is. They think he's there. They think he's in there with an uncircumcised Gentile, which is like would defile the temple. And so they grab him. They drag him out. They close the door of the temples. They're ready to arrest him, to beat him, uh, perhaps even to stone him. And, and it says in Acts, verse, chapter 21, verse 31, And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And at once he took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when he saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And that tribune came up and they arrested him and ordered him to be bound in chains. And they had... Uh, inquired who he was and what he had done. Let me ask you this question. If the Roman soldiers with the cohort and the centurions and the tribune, if they hadn't heard that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, if they hadn't gotten down there and stopped Paul from getting beaten, what do you think would have happened? Paul probably would have died. They probably would have beat him to death. Isn't it interesting how God answers a prayer here? That, that he uses some Roman soldiers. Romans, place Paul wants to go. The enemies of the people of God who are, who are uh, kind of the, uh, 
You know, they're not just the police force, but they're kind of like the oppressing army. God's providence is amazing. That he would allow them to hear, that he would allow them to just happen to find out just in the nick of time. Imagine if they had been late. Imagine if word hadn't been gone to them. Imagine if they had a soldier and he was just like, oh, come on, it's, they're just killing one guy. Imagine if, if it hadn't been, been told all Jerusalem is in an uproar. You know, a little riot. I'm sure he's like, ah, it happens all the time in their temple, whatever. Later on, there's the plot to kill Paul. Uh, there's more than one plot, actually, to kill Paul in, in the book of Acts. And God protects them from all this. The point is, Paul's prayers are answered. Second, Paul says, pray that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable. I think here the idea is his service of taking the offering. Pray that it would be acceptable. That they would accept the gift. There's still the tensions between Jew and Gentile. And maybe there would be some Jewish people or maybe even some Jewish unbelievers that would be like, how dare those people that claim to be Christians and follow the Messiah take money from these unclean Gentiles? You can imagine the the social pressure there. And Paul is just saying, pray that that the gift would be acceptable, that what I've done would be acceptable to the saints. So I want to ask this again. Do we pray for missionaries? And what are some things that we can pray for? Let me just try to give you a couple very broad things that you can pray for. Every missionary has their own specific requests. So get specific requests from them. Sign up, please, for Sarah's email thing. If you don't do anything today, please do that. And don't just do it because I told you to sign up. Do it because you're going to pray, right? But pray for an open door for their ministry. Pray that they would be well received in the neighborhood and the the environment which they're in. Pray that they would have a chance to, to share the gospel and that God would bring fruit. Pray for protection from opposition. Pray that maybe even if there is opposition, that God would use it to spread the gospel. Sometimes it's the very opposition to the gospel that he uses to spread. Pray for boldness. Pray for their families. If they're on a field where there's no local church, they're literally planting a church. Pray that they would have their own means of getting spiritually refreshed. If they're going to a place where there are already local churches there and they're helping them along or they're doing other ministry, pray that they'd have good relationships with the local church, good relationships with their team. Can you imagine being out in, in the jungle of Africa Uh, living in the bush, no electricity or minimal electricity. And then there's someone in your team that, you know, just kind of rubs you the wrong way. They're a Christian. You're a Christian. But, you know, you see the world a little different. You don't all get along. Believe me, it happens in missions. Pray for these things. Pray for these things. Paul says, pray so that by, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company so that the God of peace may be with you all. Amen. Paul sees his prayers as being done according to the will of God. He sees himself getting to Rome if it's the will of God. And he seems to be thinking that now that his ministry is wrapping up in, in Greece and Macedonia, that it is the will of God that he goes to Rome. But what's fascinating, Paul's determination to go to Rome is to go as a free man so that he could go on to Spain. God answers the prayer request that he could get to Rome. But God does it by having him arrested. And then later in the book of Acts, he's able to appeal to Caesar. He's a Roman citizen, so he can take his trial all the way to um, Caesar and Rome. 
And in Acts 23, after Paul's arrested, it says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. God answers Paul's prayer to get to Rome, but God doesn't answer it in, I think, the way that Paul was kind of expecting as he wrote to the Romans church. And we need to be ready to submit to the will of God in that way. That we pray for things. We pray for missionaries. We pray for other churches. We pray for ourselves. And sometimes God answers the prayer request. And sometimes he doesn't. But sometimes the hardest is not when he doesn't answer it, but when he answers it, but not in a way that we would have liked. I mean, Paul is in chains. He's in prison. And even we find out that at least on one occasion, when he got to the prisons, the people abandoned him. They, want, they didn't want to come and talk to him. They didn't want to associate with him. It was a hard time. And so it wasn't necessarily joy when he got to Rome. But he got to Rome and he shared the gospel. Our plans for ministry don't always come to fruition in the way that we intend. But God's plans for ministry and to spread the gospel are not thwarted. Let me encourage you to pray for missionaries, to support missionaries, to think about how as a church we can support missions. Let me encourage you to pray for Sarah this summer. Camp is fun, but camp is exhausting. It can be a real spiritual weight. I don't want to scare Sarah. But tough things happen. You deal with campers. You deal with spiritual trials. You deal with staff sometimes. And it can be physically and emotionally draining. She needs our prayers. One time when I was at camp, I was kind of getting more tired than I should. There was this nice young lady, and I would get up early in the morning and spend time with her while she fed the horses. That's my wife, AJ, now, actually. But, but anyways, I was staying up too late, and I was getting up too early. And all the stuff that's going on at camp, you're tired, you're drained. I literally started falling asleep in a lesson that I was teaching like dozing off. We were sitting around in a circle. So, so you know, they say it's bad when you know, people fall asleep in your sermon. Uh, when you fall asleep in your own sermon, that's even worse. Just to give you an idea of how stressful it can be, tiring at times. And then, you know, that doesn't stop the camper that has a spiritual need or the camper that is bawling because they're homesick like you wouldn't believe. So pray. Pray that she gets good rest. Pray that she... Get some godly friends that will encourage her while she's there. Uh, again, as we prayed this morning, pray that she'd have wisdom, that she'd, that she'd use the word of God, that she would uh, just have a joy in using her gifts. Uh, pray that she wouldn't get discouraged. Sometimes your weeks don't go the way that you plan. Uh, I spent a week in the kitchen, and that was discouraging. <laughs> um, I, I didn't like the small kitchen, uh, uh, but it worked out all right. God can use our prayers. And beyond just Sarah, find some other missionaries and put them on your prayer list regularly. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to come before you and, and just ask that you would watch over us, ask that you would keep us safe. Uh, Lord, give us a vision for how we can help other missionaries, how we can support other churches, how we can uh, support places like Victory Valley and, and the staff that go there and just 
pray for them and encourage them and and um, uh, all sorts send care packages, whatever, uh, whatever it might be, Lord. Uh, help us to be passionate about sharing the gospel here, but also passionate about sharing the gospel in, in places around the world or planting churches uh, in North America or even around the world. Uh, we just pray uh, these things in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. We're going to come.